The A Free Spirit Life podcast is supported by the Live Freely Circle. Did you know more than 89% of women say they feel stressed and overwhelmed with the imbalance of their personal, family, work, and home life? The Live Freely Circle was created for women who long to feel more connected to their true calling and who want to break free of being in a constant state of stress. Becoming a member of the Live Freely Circle gives you unlimited access to an amazing online community, inspiring coaching videos, guided audio meditations, monthly soul care e-courses, and life-changing tools, all at the click of a simple app. But more importantly, the Circle teaches you how to create a life that is empowered, intentional, connected, peaceful, and joy-filled, while giving you the time for the things and people most important to you. Stop rushing through life so you can start living and loving it, so you can live freely. What do you really want out of your life? Discover that and more in the Live Freely Circle. Start your seven-day free trial today by visiting livefreelycircle.com. This is episode 27 of the A Free Spirit Life Podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. I'm Shannon Kinney Dew, creator of A Free Spirit Life and a holistic life and spiritual coach. I am really grateful that I had the opportunity to talk with my guest today. Her name is Barry Tesler Linden, and she is a financial therapist, mentor coach, mompreneur, and the founder of The Art of Money. She has guided thousands of people to new, empowered, and honest relationships with money through her nurturing, body-centered approach. Barry's methodology weaves together personal, couple, and creative entrepreneurial money teachings into one complete tapestry. Barry is the founder of The Art of Money, a global year-long money school which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. She also wrote the book, The Art of Money, a life-changing guide to financial happiness. I am so thrilled that I get to share this conversation with you today. We talk about mindfulness and money and how we can start making healthier money decisions, ones that support the life we truly want to live. We also talk about the importance of money healing, that it starts on the inside, and how we can start feeling like we have enough. You know, we, we get stuck in that enoughness. Do we have enough? Do we feel enough? Never having enough? We talk about that today. We also explore money shame and why we feel embarrassed to even talk about our money. And we talk about a topic I really love, this idea of being an under earner. Sometimes we get in this cycle of overgiving and under-receiving, and the more that I coach women and talk to women who are in that kind of cycle of not feeling enough, we overgive, we overcommit, and we under-receive, we under-earn. And I can relate to that, and I know many of you listening can too. We talk about all of that in today's show. So enjoy this conversation. I can't wait to hear from you. Let us know how this topic is affecting your life, what you think about our show today. You can go to 
the A Free Spirit Life podcast and leave us a review. Subscribe to the show so you get more great interviews like this. And at the end of the show, we'll share how to get in touch with Barry. Make sure that you start following her because she truly is full of wisdom. Enjoy the show. Hi, Barry. Thanks so much for being here. It really is an honor to talk with you today. Thanks so much for having me, Shannon. I'm excited for our conversation. Well, good. Well, tell everyone just a little bit more about what you do, where you live, and what stage of family life you're in right now. Okay, so I'm heading into my 50th birthday. I have a 10-year-old son that I had just shy of my 40th birthday. We live with my husband of almost 18 years. We're coming up on 18 in January. We live in Boulder, Colorado, and I've been doing my art of money work for eight, almost 18 years now, and let's see, you know, when, uh, you know, I'll just go back a tiny bit, you know, I went to graduate school to study somatic psychology, which is body-centered psychotherapy, and I spent my 20s doing that. I thought that I would be working with couples around intimacy and sexuality and women and around those same topics and also grief and death and body and food and those were the topics that I was very interested in. And then my student loan came due in my late 20s and that was my first huge wake up, freak out call where I realized that I did not have a relationship to money. The topic and theme of money was completely left out of my graduate school And wow, how is I going to work with couples, let alone start a private practice and on and on and on if we never talked about money and I don't even understand what my relationship to money is on a practical, emotional, psychological and spiritual level. And Mm so I, you know, took a little detour and started learning bookkeeping and ran a bookkeeping business for other therapists and coaches and artists for a while and learned so much about people. I always say at that time, between 28 and 32 years old, I learned more about people by seeing their book, by doing their books and seeing their numbers. And I learned more about them by doing that than if we were in private psychotherapy together. You know, so much about cash flow, where they spent, what was important to them, values, etc. So, I, you know, I basically at some point put it all together. My, I realized it was time to integrate my previous training as a therapist and all the deep work from that background with all of these new tools and systems and skill sets I was learning around money management and bookkeeping and the language of money. And I surprisingly fell in love with bookkeeping and I put it all together and I created a methodology, which I now call the art of money. And I used to teach it in tiny little groups of 10 people over and over and over and over. And it integrates money healing, money practices and maps and now, 18 years later, I, I've had probably five different business models over the years. They've all had their strengths and challenges, and I'm in my favorite one. We're about to hit our seventh year of a year-long teaching program that I do online. So this year, we have over 500 students in our year-long Art of Money program, and it's my favorite teaching model and favorite business model, and wrote a book that came out two years ago, two-plus years ago, called The Art of Money as well. And um, that's a little bit, you know, about where I'm at. That's the, the program is my main focus. There is a second book 
on the table and I'm hemming and hawing and hemming and hawing and maybe we, you know, but, um, that's a little bit, you know, I'm, I, I like my hiking time and I like my, you know, being in nature time and I like my family time and, you know, turning 50 is there's a whole thing around perimenopause and health and all that good stuff. And at the same time, I get to do really wonderful work about while being a mom to still a young little guy who's mm-hmm. growing up, you know, he's growing up. Not too quick. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad you said that because I have a 10-year-old too and I'm just starting to see like the the big feet, you know, and <laughs> like he's just becoming a little bit older kid, you know? So yeah, we got to slow it down as much as we can. <laughs> well, that is a lot. And I was going to ask you, you know, when did you start seeing that this was really a need? But it's obvious over the years, it's like, really unfolded. So it kind of, I'm sure, guided you to this. But it's how in the beginning, when you're doing like those 10 person or small classes, um, was it a scary thing? Were people nervous to, to start talking about money back then? How did you kind of broach this with people? So, you know, the the beginning impetus, the initial impetus for this was that I needed it desperately, you know, mm-hmm. I needed this kind of training. Financial literacy was left out of my own education. So it was emotional literacy, you know, and those are my two of my favorite things to teach. So at first it came from within, oh, this is a big missing piece. And I really thought I was the only one. I'm the only one who did not receive this money education. And I'm the only one who is money shame. And pretty quickly I started looking around to people from all different backgrounds in my community, um, different economic and class backgrounds, different income levels now, and, you know, from different lineage and ethnicities. And, wow, we all had some strengths around money, but we all had challenges. And many of us had shame, again, no matter what background we came from. And I just was seeing that we had taken on so many other big topics in life, some of which I named, and money still seemed to be this last frontier. And, you know, 18 years ago, it was a bit different than now. Um, So when I first started teaching the groups, my groups were six weeks at a time, you know, tiny little groups with 10 people in my living room in an apple orchard. And I think at the very beginning, I went right into money history first, you know, like, let's talk about what you learned about money from your family of origin. And I went there and I realized the very first evening that we needed to slow down or back up. And even it was a six week class, I couldn't start with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just started testing it all out and I had handouts and exercises and we met live in a circle. And, you know, I just was seeing what the community needed, what, the methodology, you know, and even, I don't even know if I knew it was a methodology, you know, at that time, um, this little mini course, which has become a methodology. Um, I was just really testing it out, but, you know, I realized pretty quickly, like, let's not get people talking about money history right off the bat. And I think that's when I backed up and realized I needed a tool and the body check-in tool, which is my favorite tool and came from my somatic training is first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I start there. I, you know, I end there in the, in the middle, you know, I'm, I'm inviting people to do a body check-in in all the daily money interactions that we have when you're going to go online and look at your numbers, when you're going to have a money conversation, when you're going to pay bills on and on, we can talk about that more, but it's really just a tool to stop and pause and allow us to check in 
on a physical level, sensation level, emotional level, and what's going on with our breath, you know? Yes. And I, I think I backed up and said, I need, you know, I, I don't remember the exact order of how it was all created, but that's kind of how I went. I would present something and then realize, Ooh, we went too far. We went too deep too soon back up or, Oh, we're missing a whole piece on forgiveness. Wow. How did I forget that? Okay. Add it in, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and just, I taught those small groups of 10 people that grew to 20 people for many, many years, probably seven Wow, that's yeah. so good. And I love hearing that because I know like before we started recording, we you told me you're on the cover of Mindful Magazine and, and your book's so beautiful and you've got another one coming out. And I, and I know that I have a lot of entrepreneurs or heart-centered business owners listening who, or people who are in corporate America right now, just unhappy with their life, but have these dreams that they want to pursue and have this inner calling. And so I love hearing the backstory too of what got you to this point. It took a lot of experimenting and it sounds like a lot of trial and error and courage and would you say that you ever felt like you were giving up or did you just know that you're just going to keep trying does that come from within are you an, a re naturally resilient person to begin with well, you know what I've learned over the years is a few things one is that I was born into a family of entrepreneurs even though I didn't quite realize that growing up um, my family was in real estate then they own gay bars in Chicago with my uncles, um, my uncle and his life partner. And yeah, I just didn't get that they were entrepreneurs. I don't know why. So I got to, <laughs> you know, because I never got direct teachings around money, even though I, you know, lived it and saw a lot and saw the up and down and saw the passion of it, but also saw the stress of it, you know. Um, so it took me until 32 years old to realize that I am an entrepreneur that I really can't work for someone else that I suck at working for other people and that I really needed to be my own boss. So it took me until 32 because, you know, I was working in the mental health field and in hospice and doing overnight care for people that were dying um, or had health issues. And um, I, I never stepped foot in the corporate world. And I, you know, I, anyway, so I, I just, it took me until 32 to realize that I needed to start my own thing. I had no idea what that looked like. I had no idea how long it would take. I had, you know, so yeah, at the beginning, at the beginning, I can remember in that apple orchard in California, we spent about seven years there. I would be, you know, a puddle of, you know, crying on the floor or, you know, um, because it, it was hard. It was challenging. It, it felt like a spiritual journey and a spiritual practice, um, starting a business. I used to always say that back in the day. I don't say it so much anymore, but I've always been a slow and steady growth type of person. I've certainly had some leaps along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, like the year that I went from teaching 50 people in a telecourse, to uh, over six months, I, I moved, you know, I went from six weeks to three months to six months. And then I finally realized I was ready for a year long program. I had the content, the methodology had matured, I had the community had, and I opened up my year long program in 2013. And we were able to have 320 people sign up for the very first wow. year. So that was a leap. But other than that, I'm really slow and steady, you know, mm -hmm. and so that I, you know, I, I had, I have a determination, um, 
you use the word resiliency. You know, I, I've definitely had my challenges. Um, me and my father verbally sparred a lot. He has pa- he passed away a few weeks before my book came out two years ago, and then he was cremated the day that my book was published, and mm. that wasn't planned. And I, you know, there was a lot of love with my father, and there was a lot of challenge too, and so. Um, I had to be resilient with having him as a sparring partner, you know, and a lot of my money stories and work and all of that was in, uh, I needed to do something different than how he did things. Yes. Even though we're both entrepreneurs, I just really saw the way he did things and I was like, oh, I'm very different. You know, I need to find my own way. So there was a lot of challenge and struggle in that. Um, And then when I started my own business, I never looked back. I never thought about getting a job where for a lot of people getting a job or having a part-time job is a really smart thing. And my job was my bookkeeping clients. I kept them for two years until I switched over completely to leading my groups, you know, so that was my bread and butter. Um, and that was like having a job, you know, I was eager to let that go. Um, but I, I held on to my bookkeeping clients until I really felt I was ready, you know, that I had a strong enough base with my my small courses. Yes. Well, that's good. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, like with the people you work with and you talk about your money story and a lot of it, you know, stems from our childhood or we want to do it differently. Do you find that's kind of a common theme with the people you work with? Well, you know, we all have a money story and uh, it's really important to spend some time to understand what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just like we do other parts of our lives. Like, let's get curious about our money story. And it comes from everything from who raised us, parents, grandparents, um, to, you know, what religion we were raised in or spirituality or what's our lineage. Where did our grandparents come from? Did they escape? You know, and on and on. So that, that is part of what makes up our money story. And then we watch our parents. We watch them. Or we watch, you know, who's ever raising us. We watch them closely. And, you know, we learn hopefully some positive things around money. We learn some um, not so great patterns. So I wouldn't say that we all are in reaction or response because some people get some good money lessons being passed down, you know. But no two people, if it's a couple, um, no two people earn and spend and save and give and invest in the same way. So you're learning very different things from each one. And, you know, when we go back, I think our relationship to money is made up of a combination of our family of origin and what we learned and what we are, you know, sometimes we do things like they did. Sometimes we react and we rebel. Sometimes, you know, it it also depends on what's our personality type and, and how did we translate what we are learning, you know, from our family of origin. It's like how siblings are growing up with the same parents, you know, and they all have a different relationship to money. Um, and they're growing up in the same house, you know, so that that's when it gets more into personality style and all that. Right. Well, well you talked a little bit about the body check-in and I'd love for you to just share a little bit more about it. And as a yoga teacher, you know, I'm um, talking to a lot of my students about learning how to listen to your body and connecting to your breath. And I've done that from your suggestion in your book, too, to really notice, like, 
especially when I was really struggling with my own money and, and I, I could tell like when my throat would start to close up, like it would just like, and it, it was related to like, you know, not having enough money in the, in, in my account and, and, and all those things. And so I, I think it's a beautiful practice. Can you share a little bit about how it works? Sure. So this is a practice that, or it's a tool that needs to be practiced, right? It's not like you do it one time and then you're done and you figure out all your money, emotions around money, and then you're done, you know, and, and you, they dissolve and you're all calm every time. It's an ongoing journey. You know, I say these practices, I'll be doing them until the day I die. And that's not a bad thing. That's just, you know, here's a tool to take with you day in and day out and all the daily money interactions, as I mentioned before. And sometimes we remember to do a body check in before, um, we're going to have the money conversation to prepare, just to check in and see what's going on. Sometimes in the middle of a money conversation, in the heat of the moment, we'll remember, oh, body check in. You know, I'm freaking out or I'm getting really angry or I'm getting really sad or I'm feeling anxious or I'm starting to swear, fight, you know, or, and I'm, you know, whatever it is. Um, or sometimes we remember to do a body check in after as a debriefing. They're all good, right? Whenever we can remember to do one, it's wonderful. And it's really just stopping and pausing. You can take 30 seconds, you can take a full minute, you can take five seconds and just stop and pause and ask yourself to listen to what's going on inside your body. And I like to do it on a few levels. So to start on the physical level, what do you notice? to let yourself notice on a sensation level, any movement, any stillness in your body, to let yourself notice what is the emotion or emotions that are present. And I'll talk more about that in a sec. And then lastly, to notice you know, where your breathing is in your body, how deep it is, how shallow. And Usually I like to end my body check-ins by saying, what is one little adjustment that I can make that would be really helpful right now? You know, loosening my jaw, doing a little shoulder shimmy, uncrossing my legs, putting my, the soles of my feet on the floor, you know, deepening my breath a little bit more down into my belly. So as you know, there's no right or wrong way to do a body check-in, right? But what I'm trying to help people to do is to start to stop and pause, slow down, to start to gather data, information around their money story, money beliefs, money patterns, and just what, how it happens in our bodies. You know, yeah. um, we don't have to make up a story right away. It's really just gathering information of, oh, um, my throat is starting to close. Okay, you know, or I'm starting to get it tightening and my shoulders are like starting to head up to my, my shoulders are starting to head up to my ears, you know, what's going on or I'm clenching my jaw or, you know, so for me, the financial literacy and emotional literacy are so important that they're parallel tracks. And what I mean by that is that most of us don't know how to listen to our bodies, right? That's why a lot of us do yoga or why I went to train to be a somatic therapist um, we, we override so much, um, we ignore it, we stay in our heads. But for me, emotions have always been so strong for me. And as a kid, well, as a teenager, I asked my parents if I could go to therapy. 
And they said yes, but then they sent me to a male therapist and a talk therapist because that's all they knew. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I could play a lot of games with words, and I, you know, that's basically what I did, which was unfortunate, but it was a beginning. It was an entranceway. At that time, I also would go into my room, shut the door, play loud music, and dance. And I was dancing all the different emotions that would come up, finish dancing, leave the room, and then be able to articulate or understand or be with the emotions much better instead of them totally being overwhelming. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll give one example of how this works in real life. It's one of my favorite stories because I think on some level we think one day the emotions are just going to go away, you know, and we're not going to have any emotions anymore around money. And I, you know, that's not me. That's not (sighs) as humans going to have emotions. Will they diminish? Will they get smaller? Do we catch them quicker? Do we now know how to work with them and name them and sit in them? And then they move much quicker once we do all that, yes, you know? And so this was probably six years ago on the weekend. We went to a coffee shop and with my little family and there was a green car dealership next to the coffee shop and my husband had been researching Nissan electric cars for a year or two. It was always his dream to have an electric car and then there were these perfect, you know, used car electric leafs exactly the one he wanted next thing i know we're taking a test drive next thing i know we're talking financing and numbers you know in the car dealership and i noticed that i'm starting to hyperventilate mm-hmm. like i'm starting to get anxious and my throat I, was closing up for you <laughs> just hearing the story <laughs> exactly yeah well, my version of that you know mm-hmm. i just you know, I'm starting to my breath shortening. I'm, you know, it's like up my throat. Right. And all of a sudden I was like, I caught it. And it's not like, no, again, no, not no emotions. I caught it. And I said, honey, I'll be right back. And I went to the bathroom because the bathroom is a great place to do a body check in. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, did a little body check in, noticed what was going on. Oh, I'm feeling anxious. We're about to make a mid price point money decision. I don't want to be rushed. I like to have time. This is making me nervous. You know, um, it was completely different five years later when we bought a house, which was so much more money and I was so ready. Um, and that all happened within 36 hours, but these smaller money decisions, even though a car one is pretty big, help us to learn, you know, what to do in these big money decisions. And so I realized after I sat with my feelings for a little bit, I, then I could calm myself down, you know, and and realize, oh, I need to have a money date with my husband right here in the car dealership. And I came out of the bathroom and said, honey, we need like a 20, 30 minute money date. And what that means is let's talk. Let's ask some questions like, do we have enough cash flow for this? Yes. Um, is this in alignment with our values? An electric car? Yes. You know, is this going to um, take away from our long term goal? Um, of buying a home. No. So we went through this series of questions, but we literally had a money date right there in the car dealership, 20 to 30 minutes. Then we made the best decision we could. We drove off the lot with the car, you know, all very excited. And then we debriefed afterwards and it was a great money decision, but not all are, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we learn after, but that body check-in was essential for me to check in, calm down, notice what I was afraid of, you know, ask some different questions, work with my body, and then have a money date, you know. Mm, I love that story. And I and I love that 
it gives us tools to avoid some of the really heated arguments that we're used to getting into around money. One of the things I've always loved that you've suggested is when you have a money date, um, when you know you schedule that time, whether it's weekly or monthly, going over budget, whatever, um, don't you suggest like making it kind of fun, like having dark chocolate or making it more of a of a date? I'm really into things, everything in life, so money included. You know, when I was creating this method methodology, it had to include these other qualities that were so important to me in life. It had to be meaningful, had to be creative had to have some playfulness in it. So I've done so many different things and added in so many different tools to help with that, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I um, for me, money dates have always been like candles, get out my essential oils, nibble on really good dark chocolate, um, play some music. You know, my husband can care less about <laughs> that, you know. He knows enough now, like if we're going to have a money date, he'll be like, honey, get out all your oils. Do your... <laughs> He sees you setting up candles. He knows, oh, money date time. <laughs> candles are more for me when I'm alone, but like I get out the essential oil spritzers and I spray them. Yes. Or we'll go out to dinner and have a glass of wine and talk about things, you know. Yeah. So I know not everyone can do wine or chocolate, but um, do your version of that, you know. So right. so that that is just a teeny bit of how we've made it more playful or creative. Right. For, yeah. Well, let's go. One of the my life's topics um, was always being paralyzed by self-doubt. So I had a several year period where I was really in that not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good at anything. And, and it was really when I learned my path took me to yoga and art and creativity. And those were my tools. And very similar to your path, I started teaching. I started teaching classes in person, started teaching online, but really focused around um, healing from the inside out using creativity as a tool. Um, But for me, it was really, it took me on a path of meeting so many women, especially, who have a similar not enoughness story. And I love in your book, you talk, you have a whole little section about enoughness. Um, and one of the questions you you ask in the book is you say, how can you tell if your feelings of not enoughness go deeper than just the dollars and cents? And I, I would love if you could talk, because one of the topics through my coaching clients, it seems that everyone, you know, feels like they don't have enough time to do something or they don't have enough resources or they don't have enough money. They always, I hear a lot of people say, I'm always um, behind or I can never catch up. And I feel, you know, that, that pattern of us not feeling enough definitely is related to our money story. And could you just touch on that a little bit on how can we figure out that, yes, we need to know what's in the budget and create a budget and do some of these external tools, but where, how do we start really, besides the body check-in, like start to go a little deeper and, and start healing this not enough story? This is a huge topic, right? Mm-hmm. I could write a whole book on it. And one of my favorite books is um, Lynn Twiss, The Soul of Money. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a Bible. You know, I just think it's, it's an excellent, excellent book about enoughness, right? And she talks about how we wake up in the morning and we're already like, oh, I woke up too late or I didn't get enough sleep or it's already not enough, right? Yes. So her book is beautiful um, on that. Um, my contribution to this is 
there's so much I want to say. Um, let's see. So I always like to say that one, we're born unique, we're born worthy, we're born enough, right? And along the way, we forget that, we misplace it, we, you know, we do all sorts of things with that, right? And, you know, my personal version, well, I have so many, but one is just even being in graduate school in my 20s. And I remember it was one of our movement classes because we were studying movement and body and I was on the floor and I just was crying and I um, could not get in touch with my value or my worth or I thought I was wrong, you know, which can translate to I'm not enough, I'm not okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember lying on the floor and I, you know, I think, well, for me, you know, with my, do you know the Enneagram at all? I do, yes. I, so that's a typical Enneagram four. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram four with a very strong three, three wing. So I, you know, just remember that so clearly. I was, I had forgotten. I'd forgotten my value. I, at that time, had no idea how to create a livelihood based on my skill set, my gifts, my superpowers. I just, I just didn't know that I would ever be able to do that because in graduate school, trained as being trained as a therapist, we're not. We don't, we didn't talk about money, as they said, you know, and we weren't supposed to want money or strive for money or talk about money. We were supposed to just do our good work and somehow, you know, be compensated. So, you know, I, I, I know this journey personally. Um, I like to say that our value and worth has nothing to do with the dollar signs or the numbers in our bank accounts. Um, at the same time, we live mostly in a capitalist society, right? Um, I know a lot of people do trade. I did a lot of trade and barter when I first started my business the very first few years, which was wonderful, and then stopped for 10 years and then did it again. And, you know, so I love that. Um, But for the most part, we are providing a service or product for someone and we're getting paid, right? And that's how we put a roof over our house and that's how we eat and so on. And so we do need to figure out how to charge for services, um, how to come up with business models. You know, for me, it's I've been on such a journey to find the 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 best business model that integrates time, money, energy, health, family. You know, my top and being as generous as possible with my content. You know, and I finally have done that years, and I've had some good ones along the way. But that's a journey that I've been on. Now, let's see, you know, there's so much out there in the coaching world about charge what you're worth. And I hate that concept. I, um, I really do, because we could never put a number on our value or worth. We just can't, you know. Um, Again, at the same time, we need to figure out how to charge. And I have about eight to 10 different questions to ask when someone's figuring out how to charge. And one of them is the body check in, but you don't stop there. You know, you keep going Mm -hmm. and you ask, who do you, what kind of community do you want to work with? Do you want to work with higher end folks? Or do you want to work with middle class folks? Or do you really want to work with lower income folks? You know, um, how are you going to create a business model to do that? And what are your basic needs or you know, I the third phase of my program is called Money Maps, and we do a little what people call a budget in three tiers. The first tier is basic needs, bottom line. The second tier is comfortable lifestyle. The third tier is ultimate. So I have people, you know, do a little plan, a budget. 
um, for each of those tiers and see what phase of life they're in, which tier they're at, which one they want to head towards, you know, what phase of life could not every year we're growing and earning more and spending more and saving more and giving more, right? We have some of those years, but some years, like when I had my son, we sim- I, I needed to simplify and I let go of my entire team and business partner and went back to one woman show, you know, because I needed to recover after his birth. So to complete, there's so much here. Um, but I think as far as enoughness and how do we feel enoughness? How do we f- tap into it? How do we cultivate enoughness when we're not feeling it, right? Um, you know, one of the key practices is something I'm sure you talk about all the time is a simple gratitude practice. And it's honoring where you are now, while at the same time you have goals for the future or for the short-term future, you know, and how can we appreciate (coughs) and celebrate where we are now and what we have now. And also these smaller big goals that we have on the horizon. It's not an easy thing. It's why, you know, I hike all the time or I, you know, I have my other practices like I know you do too. And those also help cultivate, you know, more calm, um, peace of mind, uh, in the storm, you know, in the ebbs and flows, in the ups and downs, cause we're going to have them. And, you know, how do we find things like going on a hike that doesn't cost anything, you know, um, how can we add those things in? And I always talk about flowers and toilet paper here because I, I, I my love for them is equal and you know I'll get a bouquet of flowers and I can buy the cheaper one or and that makes me so happy you know and I feel enoughness just in that little bouquet of flowers you know and literally a you know a basket of toilet paper does the same thing for me you know so I think I know that's kind of silly but in the, the larger scheme I'm mentioning lots of things here you know how do we cultivate our value and worth. There's the internal practices around learning how to say no better, um, knowing what your yeses are, knowing what your noes are, knowing who you are, who you're not, what you're good at, what you suck at. You know, I spent years working on that. And I think that's the internal part of knowing our value and our worth and feeling enough. And it's a journey. You know, it's not not like one day we arrive at our enoughness and we're like, I'm enough. You know, Right. Yes. And I love that you, you keep saying that like that to me, you know, I just feel peace every time you say it like it, this is, and I say it all the time too. It's a practice. You say it's an ongoing journey. And, and I think that's so freeing because I do think because of our culture and, you know, because we don't talk a lot about money or we feel embarrassed and we'll talk a little bit about that too, but we just feel like we have to, um, get to a place and then, and then it's somehow our life's going to be perfect. And, and, and when we realize even with the money story that once you've, you know, healed a little and moved forward, then there's something else to unfold and experience. And I think that's just a really freeing statement to remind all of us it this is a practice and it, and to go at your own pace is okay. It's so important, you know, because we think that there's some kind of quick fix around this, or we think one day we're just going to arrive at this place where all our money issues are solved. We don't have any emotions around it anymore. And, you know, everything is planned out perfectly. 
And that's not how life happens. Yes, we can get better and better each year. Every year I'm asking who needs to be on my financial support team that I don't have now. Do I need to update my bookkeeping system? Um, is it time to um, move through a money ceiling and make more money this year? Why? What would we be using it for? Do we want to donate more this year? And so on, you know. And I gave it a, a keynote this year um, where I did say, you know, we do all believe that someday we're just going to suddenly arrive at this place where we're not going to have any issues anymore. And even if we get better and better and we learn more and more about money every year, we're, life is still going to throw us curveballs. And there's nothing we can do about that. You know, we, we can plan so well. And it's, I love planning and I love visioning, you know. But, you know, this year at the very beginning, right as I realized I was we are going to go over 500 students. I got a letter in the mail from the IRS that we were being audited for our personal finances, our LLC, and our C Corp. Mm -hmm. You know, and I had been audited 17 years before, and it was a cute little audit. I was, you know, sole proprietor, brought in 50,000, and I walked into the office with my cute little files, and you know, the audit and meeting was over in three hours, and I didn't have to pay a penny more. And you know, when when these papers came 17 years later, can I uh, just ask? You were doing a ton of body scanning at that time, right? <laughs> So, this is what, so I, you know, I give a 35 minute keynote on this because I'm talking about money Cohen's and money Cohen's just means like, what's your money riddle? And we all have them like a big money challenge, right? Um, the bigger ones and what are the steps to help you work through it? And this one was, it took me, you know, off, it was, I was caught off guard and it came in my mailbox and I felt a bit invaded I felt a bit angry, you know, I was going through all of my emotions and they were big and they were strong and it took me a good week or two. So this was longer than, you know, than some other smaller money things. It really was a curveball and it took me a week or two. I was actually not sleeping well. That's not, you know, and I couldn't get myself to calm down my nervous system. And finally, one day in the middle of the day, I said, you know what, I'm getting in the bath. I'm going to take a bath <laughs> in the middle of the day. And I was in the water and it finally dawned on me. You know what? I am, I have said yes to this keynote about money Cohen's. Guess what? <laughs> I'm in the middle of one right now. And guess what? I haven't named it. And I haven't even sat down to sit with the feelings, you know, because the fight, like, uh, the fight, flight, freeze. We're all happening at once. And usually we get one, we get fight, we get flight, we get freeze. I was having all of them. Um, and it took me into the bathtub to name that I was in one, sit with the emotions, finally calm myself down, start asking some new questions. And I got out of the bathtub. Obviously it wasn't solved, but I had so much more trust that I had the tools you know, to get myself through. And then I knew that this money riddle would eventually be solved. And then I, I knew how to walk myself through it once I finally named it. Mm, that's so good. There's so many things I want to go back to, but I'm going to, um, in the nature of time, I do want to uh, highlight, I, first of all, I'm a flower 
I love flowers too. Just one little small vase makes me so happy. That in the farmer's market, if I can buy like a big thing, a kale and some fresh, I'm I'm literally the happiest person alive. And so I love that, but I feel like that's such a good self-care, soul care practice and self-care is so important. And, you know, sometimes we get so tunnel vision. I'm thinking about the people listening right now who have like piles of debt, who are on the beginning stage of really awakening and really want to start conquering that. And sometimes we can get so tunnel visioned to that mountain ahead that it sucks the joy out of daily life. You know, a little luxury like some your favorite dark chocolate or flowers can go a long way. I think that's just um, a, a really nice way to take good care of yourself. And then something you said about saying no. Um, another part of your book that I'm like, yep, yep, that's me. She's writing about me is um, the overgiving, under receiving. And I yeah. think for a lot of us, especially those who have a calling um, uh, that is in some um, heart-centered business or they, you know, they want to be giving, they're in social work or a teacher, um, and there is kind of this, you know, oh, like you said in school when you were just like, well, we're just supposed to be giving and not really ask for money. But then we're overcompensating and still filling that cycle of not enough, that internal cycle. And so one of the things you you talk about first, can you just briefly talk about what that means to be like over giving and under receiving and then how healthy boundaries, because that's something I talk a lot about with my group. Um some of us just say yes to everything. How creating healthy boundaries can even help you if you find yourself as an overgiver, under receiver? Yeah, I want to answer that, but I want to make one comment on the first thing you said. Sure. And then we'll go to this, which was, you know, when folks are, you know, have a lot of debt, um, when they're, you know, have to foreclose on their home, when there's a divorce, when there's a death, when, you know, the biggies, right? Yes. Um a bouquet of flowers, uh, a, a basket of toilet paper is not going to do anything, you know, right, right. right in that moment. And um, so that's, that is when like the steps of naming it, catching it, doing the body check-in, sitting with the feelings, drawing them, writing about them, dancing them, hiking them, you know, mm-hmm. it's so important and then you can, you know, so you're, you're trying to take the overwhelm and, and, you know, the fight, flight, freeze and, and move it to the side of you. Right. But yes. you need to name what the actual feelings are, you know, like with the IRS, I was feeling invaded. I was angry at the system. I, you know, all this stuff is real. Right. And I was having my stuff and I had to name all of that before I could move it to the side and start taking some new steps or asking new questions of who do I need on my support team? You know, um, do I need a bookkeeper? Do I need an accountant? Do I need a financial coach? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so important. And really when it's a big mountain like that, we can't tackle any mountain by like just going over the whole mountain. We, you know, this is obvious, but we need to take it one baby step at a time. And that's what's so important with any of these big things. Or even when people are doing my year-long program, I have to say over and over and over, you have to take this one step at a time, baby steps. Everyone's in a different phase in their life. Everyone does a pacing and timing differently, right? But you have to be where you're at and decide and, you know, let yourself see what is the one next step and take it. And then you can go from there. 
right? Yes. And that's how you take yourself through something like that. And you need support. You definitely need people on your support team, you know, and this is where many of us feel shame or we feel we can't reach out for help or, or we don't even know what the difference between a bookkeeper, financial coach, financial planner, accountant, so on are, you know, that's why I had a whole chapter in my book. Um, and there's, I have blog articles on this on what are the different players and what are their roles and, what are their different specialties? Because I didn't know this, you know, years ago. So maybe you need to go to my book or one of my articles just to see what are the different players and ask yourself, who do you need on your support team next? You know, oh, that's so and- good. Do you think that's why a big part of why we experience shame around money is just that in kind of embarrassment of not even knowing and what we're doing or talking about? Yes, but why don't we know? You know, for yes. so many of us, we weren't given a financial education from grade school and up in small increments. You know, we were given maybe a few pieces, a few parts. I had an accounting class in high school. I don't remember it, you know. Or, you know, for me, I wasn't good at math growing up. And so somehow I'd equated, if I'm not good at math, I can't do money. Or I can't do bookkeeping. And that's not true at all, you know. And so... Yeah, I think it's really that for most of us, we are not given a financial education, not even close to a complete one, you know, so we don't know the language of money. We don't know how to look at our numbers. We're, you know, we're afraid to look and then all the emotions. We weren't taught how to work with our emotions. So that those are that's a little bit about the money shame. Right. So that's that. And then let's. So you were asking about overgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and for me that leads and the boundaries and for me that leads to what I was mentioning earlier about the inner work of how do we cultivate value and worth and how it is an ongoing journey and one of the steps are learning how to be better with no no thank you you know how do we say no um, in a more elegant way or you know um, how do we learn to say more, no more often Um, because if you're in any of those healing professions, we are givers. We love to contribute. We love to give. We love to support people. We love to heal. We love, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we say yes to all of that, but, and that's beautiful, but you can be overgiving. You can be too generous. You can give too much to family members, um, give too much money to family members at the expense of your own basic needs, you know, I've seen that over and over and over. Um, so there is a such thing, there is a thing as over giving and being too generous, um, depending on what it is, you know, and I think that healthy boundaries are just essential. They are essential. Um, I knew about boundaries, you know, but it took me years and years to learn. And someone recently said to me, you're so, you seem so good at boundaries. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be 50, you know, (laughs) you know, I've been practicing it for years and I wasn't good. And the way we learn is we overstep, we override, we, you know, don't honor our own boundaries and then we're pissed. Yeah. Resentment sets in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then we get pissed at the other person or ourselves. Or exhaustion. I mean, so many times that you're, as you're saying, healers that I know that are so amazing at what they do, but they have, they're, they have nothing left to give. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it was one of the reasons I left the mental health field was mm-hmm. I was working 40 hours a week. The pay was crap. Um, I could not get any kind of self-care, massage, acupuncture, no way. You know, I couldn't buy dark chocolate, organic dark chocolate. 
Um, you know, that seems silly, but it did lead me to, oh, I want to make more money. How do I do this? You know, but boundaries are so essential. I even on my contact page on my website that leads to a collaboration page. I have such clear boundaries of no, after many, many years of giving free intakes or free tea dates or free pick my brain sessions or yes. free, I don't do them anymore. I just don't. I have decided to be so generous with my content on my website and my blog and my podcast, go there, enjoy it all, you know, and, but you're not going to get my time, um, my free time because that goes to my family, you know, or my own self care. So I, we spent a lot of time creating, um, that contact page and some people every once in a while, they just, they get upset. You know, I get asked a lot and, Will you, you know, I just heard about your work. Can we get on the phone tomorrow? Nope. You know, I, I know you locally. Can we meet for tea? And can I just ask you some questions? No. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest way I found this was I was working on it for years. And I used to give a lot of free stuff at, like this for years as I was beginning my work. And it was great, you know. And then as soon as I had my son and I was in recovery from our labor, it was so clear I couldn't do that. And I went from working 40, 50 hours a week to 10 hours a week for two years. And that's all I could do while I was recovering. Um, and I learned how to be so much more efficient um, with my work and with my time. And so, you know, knowing, as I was saying earlier, like, what are your yeses? Then everything else needs to be a no. It really does. You know, if you're going to make those yeses happen or, knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and having great referrals and choosing to be generous where you want to. It's great to have free stuff out there, but you choose, you know, where you're going to do that. Yeah. So good. It's so good. I just love it because, um, you have to say no to things you would want to do, you know, at some point when you have your yeses, you just, you have to say no to even the things that sound good. And I think that's sometimes hard and learning how to discern between the two. It just, it takes a lot of practice for sure. It takes, it takes a lot, a lot of practice years ago. At, you know, when Telesummits first came out, year, I'm talking years ago, like probably 10, I was a part of the first few ones and then did continue to do some, but they never worked for me for many, many reasons. And the contact pages links to, a, as I was saying, collaboration page and links to why I don't do telesummits, all the reasons, you know, <laughs> but, so I was even trying to contort myself a bit like, okay, yes. um, I, I won't do a solo email, but may, yeah, I'll do this. And you know, it just, it never felt good for me and never felt good for them. And so finally I just had an absolute no. For those who are listening, who are like still on the fence about that, it's like, you know, it really does people start to respect you when you set boundaries too. And you find freedom in that. And I think that that's just something that's good to remember that it's, I mean, it may be hard to say no the first few times, but it does get easier and it's so freeing. (laughs) Many people respect it and some will get upset and the people that are getting upset have their own boundary issues. That's right. And have just some uh, entitlement that you, you should be there for them. But you know, that's and okay. it's okay to upset people, it, you know, that's it right. It is. Um, what is your definition of mindfulness? And as we're starting to heal and kind of get to that um, stage where we're trying to make good money decisions, I like how you talk about making intentional, mindful choices with our money. Can you tell me a little bit about your definition of mindfulness and how it applies to our money decisions? Yeah, I'm terrible at general uh, 
definitions like that. Um, But I'll try to explain it. You know, when we were coming up with the subtitle of my book, so it's The Art of Money, subtitle is A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. And, you know, all these words were thrown out there. Financial mastery, financial abundance. I used to call my work conscious bookkeeping, so conscious was being used a lot. Um, It was, it's hard to wrap up you know, a healthy relationship to money in one word, right? Yes, um, yes. When they came up with it, when the publishing team came up with financial happiness, I was like, I like it. That works, you know? And while it's not, there's no perfect word that wraps it all up, but it's, and then someone will say to me, well, how do you define a healthy or successful relationship to money? And I say, you know, it's going to be different for each of us. And we all need to decide what that means to us. So, what phase of life are we in and what are our priorities and goals and values at this time? And, you know, what are you working on? Health stuff, family stuff, what, you know, so that is really important. Um, If I'm, you know, mindfulness though, for me is the day in and day out. It is not, as as we've said, a quick fix. It's not one day it's going to all get solved and resolved. It's an ongoing journey. It's a day to day mindfulness, staying present, practice as much as we can, right? We're still going to check out, you know, we're still not going to do our bookkeeping every week. We might have a week where we travel. That's okay. You know, mm-hmm. how do we keep coming back in and, um, what is the right amount of attention to bring to this area of life? Usually at the beginning we ignore it. We put it in a corner. We don't water the garden, you know, it needs watering, but it doesn't need overwatering. But most of us, because we weren't given a financial education, there is a big learning curve here and there is a lot to learn. But again, it's going to be in bite sized baby steps day in and day out for the rest of our lives, you know, and that's why I teach in a year long program. Um, that's why I created a whole framework that once you learn, you just not repeat, but you just keep fine tuning, you know, and maturing more and more and more as you go. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about how becoming a mom changed you. Um, is there something that stands out as far as what you're teaching your son now and any tips for those parents listening? Yeah. So, um, my publisher really wanted me to write a parenting and money book next. And I said, no, I said, <laughs> he's 10 or at the time I was like, he's eight or he's nine. Like we're just, we're still figuring this out, you know, yes. maybe once he's 20 and heads to college, you know, right. I know it's 18, but I'm saying 20 intentionally, you know, <laughs> leave the house at 20. He even says he's not leaving. You know? <laughs> of, course. Uh, of course. He'll live with you forever. Totally. totally. Um, so, you know, we, number one, whenever I talk about parenting um, or how to teach kids, I say, number one, you got to do your own money work first, you know, because they're watching us so closely. And a lot of the times we're adults, you know, my community is 25 to 75 years old doing money work. There's a lot of um, folks in their 50s and 60s doing money work for the very first time, you know, that have adult children doing it for the very first time or, Some folks have teenagers or little kids. And so number one, it's so important for us to do some of our own money work first, right? Second, couples and money. I think, you know, um, no, as I said, no two people come together and spend and earn and save and give and invest in the same way. So I would love couples to 
you know, start to have some money dates and don't look at the numbers first, you know, first I call it story time and just sit down and each of you get 15 minutes and talk about family of origin and what you learned from, you know, your parents or grandparents around money growing up and how that's impacted you and how you think that's playing out today. I mean, I know that's a biggie. So start small, you know, Mm -hmm. and do some story time and just start to learn stories. And, you know, because I know couples that 20 years in, they didn't know each other's money stories. They never talked about money, even though they know so much about each other on every other level. So that's really important. Then with, you know, let's see, what has been the biggest thing that's changed? Or I mean, hmm, I didn't think I would be a parent. I didn't want to be a parent until I turned 38. And then I just changed my mind. I just woke up one day and realized my only next step was to have a child. Um, really, I, I knew he was a boy. I knew his name was Noah. It was That was pretty wild. I knew he was coming through. Wow, um, that's amazing. So- really grateful that he did, you know. Um, And so, you know, we're trying to do money differently um, or learn from the strengths and challenges of each of our upbringings. You know, I, I was raised middle class with a lot of generosity and a lot of unspoken conditions. And so I, I, we're trying with our son to talk about money a lot more Um, to talk numbers with him when it's appropriate, you know, but my son, you know, just a few months ago will say things like, so how much money did you make in your business? You know, Mm -hmm. and you know, he was nine at the time and I had to say, well, if I'm going to tell him this number, I need to explain more, which we've tried to do, like what are our personal expenses and how much is our home and how much is school and how much is food. And instead of just like, this is how much, you know, taken out of context, He can make up all sorts of meaning. So I've tried to have age-appropriate money conversations with him since he was two or three, you know. Um, You know, being in the target aisle, he wanted everything on the shelf, right? That's what, you know, it's all desire. And so instead of like, um, um, what's the word? Just like putting out that flame or putting out that desire, I would say, okay, let's put everything on your wish list. And I had a lot... I wasn't working as much and go through the aisles and he'd put every single thing, (laughs) every single Lego on the wish list, you know? And then we moved on to like, how do we make a good decision? Like when we want one, we want two pairs of shoes, but we're going to get one or we want two pairs of shoes, but we have to pick out a three, you know, how do you, how do you even choose? Or how do you start, you know, how do you start saving some money or giving and what do we want to give to in the last few years, we've been really working on who do we want to give to. And he started to contribute a bit more to that. So we're just trying to talk a lot more openly, um, but not give him information that I feel at his age, it would be too much. And how do I know that? I don't know. You know, I'm just going by my intuition and, and so that's a bit, and he knows body check-ins and stuff. And, you know, so. I love it. Oh, that just, I think that's great. And it's, you know, all of what you're saying is these are amazing tools to go within. You have a really great methodology, like that is so helpful for us. And, and it's also getting in tune with what resonates with you. What is your intuition saying? reconnecting to your inner life so that you can start 
making those deeper connections. Your work is so powerful and I'm just really grateful for it. So thank you for all that you've done over the years and all that you continue to do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Where can um, we all find your book and learn more about your year program? So my website that my husband built me <laughs> um, two years ago, which I love, it was his parting gift. We were business partners for a while, and now he's back in his own sandbox. So my website is my name, BarryTesler.com, and it's B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R. And there's a great blog there. You can go to my podcast. You can link to my book. It's on Amazon. Um, it's in many, many local independent bookstores and Barnes and Noble, and it's, we've hard copy and now we've paperback and I have the contract for the audiobook, and it's on deck to do. Um, so that's next. And there's a page called the art of money and you can go there and it is incredibly thorough and detailed and it tells you all about our year long program and there's a little mini taste of the Art of Money program if you sign up to be a part of my community and email list. And that's easy to find, too, when you get on there. Okay. Thank you so much. I will share all of those links in the show notes. Barry, thanks for being such an inspiration. And thank you so much for your time today. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. Thank you so much for listening today. I know you heard something today that spoke directly to you. Check out the show notes at afreespiritlife.com and look for episode 27 to see the links to the resources we talked about today and to learn more about Barry. Also, if you're listening to the show when it comes out live, I am offering an encore to my free online workshop, Live Freely, this September 7th, 2018 at 1.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you can't watch it at that time, but you'd like to receive the recording, just make sure you sign up, go to afreespiritlife.com, click free workshop, and you'll find out all the details. In this workshop, we'll be covering really practical and powerful ways that you can start breaking free of overwhelm and stress so that you can live a more authentic, empowered, and intentional life. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. As I open up to a place where I feel wide awake, I wipe away the dirt, shake it off till I see a brand new page. I'm growing, growing, and it takes time to realize that we're free, and I bless Tomorrow they never come and it's over